0: do this, explain to you the difference between the synoptics and John, okay? okay. Well, Luke talks about in the beginning, he writes a gospel, uh, as much as many I'm taking, the of narrative of things which are have accomplished, just to deliver to us, in the beginning, why witnessed and ministers, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely, sometimes to write an orderly account for you know the truth yes. concerning things which you have been informed. So that's question. All right. Okay, so the old testament, how do we know? Well, unlike Matthew who has direct quotations, you know, so the words of the prophet might be fulfilled. Uh, John has only nineteen direct citations of the Old Testament. He has a lot of allusions. John is unlike Matthew who's once detailed proof of the fulfillment of scripture, John is satisfied with general allusions. Like he says, uh, God lies behind events like the betrayal of Judas, the enigma of unbelief, and the uh, inexplicable hatred of the Jews. Now he reveals a wide range Knowledge of the Scriptures presents Jesus as the Messiah, servant of Yahweh, King of Israel, and a prophet. And these other things will be very obvious to you. Genesis influenced John, even though he doesn't excite explicitly. How do we know? In the beginning, in the beginning, it's the same way. Okay, right? He never talks about Genesis, but he begins it well, it's the same way. Okay. Also he has references to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. It talks about the superiority superiority of Jesus over the patriarchs. He created than Jacob. He existed before Abraham. Moses is a witness to Jesus. And the story of Moses and the Exodus. Where does that come up? Talks about chapter six, manna, desert. Being the people, okay. Water from the rock, bronze serpent, chapter three. And also he has uh, references to uh, royal shepherd, which is from the prophets, Micah, Jeremiah, etc. or Isaiah, the I Am sayings echo to Isaiah. Zechariah lies behind John's reflections on the Feast of Tabernacles and the stream of living, living water. Ezekiel may be the background for John's theology of the Son of Man and of the Paraclete. Ezekiel talks about uh, I'll put my spirit within you and you shall live, you know, the tribe so. yep. all the And wisdom literature is important to understand, John, because the Logos hymn really mirrors the role of wisdom in the story of creation in the wisdom literature. So the Old Testament is one of his sources and influences. Second one is Rabbinic Judaism. Because the word nomos, which means law, Rabbinic Jews broaden that to mean scripture. They talk about the nomos, you not know, just talking about the Torah, they're talking about scripture in general. The way the man born blind is interrogated reflects Jewish practice at that time, the way they were arguing back and forth. The same thing, the dialogue with Nicodemus recalls the rabbinic technique of disputation or argument. Judaism. Some people suggest the dependence of John upon Philo, P-H-I-L-O of Alexandria. Because some of the biblical imagery used by John, like Jacob's ladder, bronze serpents, vision of Abraham all those are used by Philo precisely in connection with the doctrine of the Logos Jacob's ladder the servant vision in connection with the doctrine of the Logos but the thing is John even though he uses those things he doesn't use them in connection with the word the Logos Of, Judaism. of course, the uh, underlying presentation of the Logos is the Hellenistic Greek, Sophia, wisdom. Wisdom is with God at the beginning of the world. The Logos is with God at the of the world. Okay. Yeah, that So there's three things. Okay. It's Old Testament, the Rabbitic Judaism, and Hellenistic Judaism. Influences, Now here, I'm going to talk about the literary features and characteristics. We talked about how John massaged the oral material he got into, uh, you know, started to know into dramas, etc. And then he developed some, some of the stories and things with unique features, and you see them over and over again. Now, the first one is misunderstanding. Well, in a dialogue means the questioner will misunderstand the figurative language or metaphor that Jesus employs, and he'll take only a literal or material meaning. Misunderstand something, so uh, we'll give you a few examples, okay? In a sense, this allows Jesus to explain his thought more thoroughly and to unfold his teaching. Okay, these figures and metaphors are John's equivalent of the synoptic parables. Remember, Jesus told the parable and then the disciples wouldn't understand it and then he had to explain it to them. Uh, sow to sow seed, fall on good ground, seed falls in. Okay. So when a person misunderstands what Jesus says, that gives them a chance to explore it more. So this literary device represents the world's inability to see the truth. Now, what examples of it? Misunderstanding, chapter 2, verse 20. The Jews then said it's taken 46 years to build this temple. He'll raise it up in three days. Misunderstanding, right? They can even said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Thus he spoke, and he said to them, My friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him out of sleep. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Again, they all take it on the material uh, or literal meaning. Jesus means something more than that. The second feature irony. That's when Jesus' opponents. Uh, Say something about him intended to be derogatory, sarcastic, or incredulous. But ironically, these statements are often true or more meaningful in a sense that the speaker doesn't realize. Believer will see the deeper truth. So, for example, so chapter 3. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, but no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Okay, you know, a teacher come from God. He understands it's like a prophet, you know, called by God. But come from God, meaning from heaven. Irony. Chapter 412. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it? Jesus She's her she said expects the answer, no. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus said really kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? Okay, another feature, third one, is double meaning. There's often a play on various means of a given word used by Jesus. And it's really almost a, a type of pun. The double meanings, give you some examples. Jesus said what sign are you to show us for doing this? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple. Three days I will raise it up. Jews then said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple. You'll raise it up in three days, but he spoke of the temple of his body. So, temple, double meaning was the structure and his body. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right. The word anew also means from above. Nicodemus thinks I have to go again into my mother's womb be born. She talks about a birth from above. Another one is inclusion. We mentioned that a few times, right? She, uh, John often mentions a detail or makes an allusion at the end of the section which matches a similar detail at the beginning of that section. So it's inclusion cycle. You know, bookending book it, framing it—it's a way of packaging sections by tying together the beginning and the end. So one of the big ones there is uh, with Kairos. Remember the words he said? "It's better than one man die, and then later on, that's brought up again." So, for instance, uh, you have inclusion, chapter 2, verse 11, and chapter 4, verse 46. If you look at my structure, literary structure, that's within the first, that's at the beginning of the first, part of that section, and the end of the section. How do I do it? This is the first of the signs Jesus did at Canaan, Galilee, manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. 4.46. And so he came again to Canaan, Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Capernaum is an official of was ill. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So what I have geographically, I have Canaan Galilee, Jerusalem, Canaan Galilee. Canaan Galilee, where Jesus manifested himself in water and wine. And the last one was when uh, he, uh, the official of was ill. he cured him. So two miracles frame that. And he mentions Capernaum where he had made water wine. Okay, another one is a dialogue becoming monologue. This is typically Joe and I. What starts out as a conversation with a person or an audience. As the conversation moves on, the hearer fades away. And Jesus' words take on the character of a monologue in universal terms. In other words, it's not the back and forth between two people. It starts off that way. But all of a sudden, Jesus now dominates the uh, conversation. The effect is to free Jesus' words from the limitations of circumstances, to make them universally and eternally valid. So in other words, it's not just an answer to this one person. This becomes something for all of us to know, learn from. And of course, some of the ones that are like Nicodemus, okay? So it's so all the time for Nicodemus, but then all of a sudden you find Jesus, you know, talking for the rest of it. Um, and the same thing with the Samaritan woman, et cetera, okay? Another one is duplicate speeches. Occasionally a speech of Jesus seems to say essentially the same thing as a speech already recorded. For instance, uh, you have I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. Okay, and then you have bread of life as being uh, the nourishment of the word of God, and the bread of life as being the Eucharist. So you have duplicate features there. Uh, foreshadowing. It's a technique whereby knowledge of the future is given in advance in order to arouse suspense and anticipation and to prepare the reader for connection of different parts of the story with the whole. I'll give you some examples. Chapter 12, verses 32-33. And I, when I have lifted up from the earth, will draw all we'll men to myself. He said this to show by what death he was to die. Let's predict it ahead of time. Chapter 12, it doesn't happen until 20. So foreshadowing, and notice gives you an indication of what's going to happen in the future. Then... Uh, so Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow after. Meaning, you know, he would suffer and die as well. Another one is explanatory notes. These are inserted into the narrative story to explain names and symbols. Also, correct misapprehensions, remind the reader of related events, and re identify characters in the plot. Some of them said, Explanatory, let explain. Chapter 138, and they said to him, Rabbi, and John adds, which means teacher. You shall be called Cephas. Yes, Peter. But he spoke of the temple of his body. He's explaining when Jesus said, "Destroy this temple." He said this to show by what death he was to die. And just said, "Of course, I told you that I am He. So if you seek Me, let these men go." This was to fulfill the of word which he had spoken those whom you gave me, I lost not one. Also, uh, Jesus said to Philip, how are we to buy bread so these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. The final one is realized eschatology. Synoptics uh, situate at the end of time such things as judgment, return of Jesus, becoming sons of God. All those are uh, paid for the end of time. Judgment, return of Jesus, becoming sons of God. Now, without denying the truth of these, John emphasizes that these things have already begun. So that's what we call realized eschatology. It's happening now, as opposed to future eschatology happening in the future. Uh, His eschatology, doctrine of the last things, is in part already realized. Some examples. Jesus says, He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So what he's saying is that your judgment is happening here and now because of your lack of faith. It's not something a decision coming at the end of time. It's happening. Your, your condemnation of judgment is happening, starting to happen right now. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Has. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He hears my word, believes him who sent me. In other words, he has the beginnings of eternal life right now. Okay, and the last one. No one can come to the Father Unless the Father who sent me draws him, I will raise him up on the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Has eternal life, but he will be raised on the last day. Will be raised as future eschatology. Yes, has eternal life. In other words, beginnings of eternal life. We said that in baptism. The beginnings of eternal life. But possession of the fullness of eternal life doesn't happen until the death and final okay. judgment. All right, now the relationship to the Synoptic Gospels. Despite some important and significant differences among the Synoptic Gospels, they are much more similar to one another than any of them is to John. Who, list lists the most significant accounts of the synoptic gospels. This is what we would find. You know, if you just took the synoptic gospels. In two of them, Jesus is said to be born in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary. In all three, his public ministry begins with his baptism by John, followed by a period of temptation in the wilderness by the devil. When he returns, he begins to proclaim the coming kingdom of God. This proclamation is typically made through parables. In fact, according to Mark, this is the only way that Jesus taught the crowds. In addition to teaching, Jesus also performs miracles. In Mark, his first miracle involves the exorcism of a demon. About the first part of his ministry, Jesus engages in exorcisms and other miracles, both teaching principally in parables. Halfway through these Gospels, Jesus goes up onto a high mountain and is transfigured before his disciples. It is there that he reveals to them his glory. Otherwise, it remains hidden. In the synoptic gospels, Jesus does not speak openly of his identity. He commands the demons and others who know of it to keep silent. At the end, he has a last meal with his disciples, in which he institutes the Lord's Supper, distributing the bread, this is my body. And the cup this is the cup of the new covenant my blood after that he goes out to pray in the garden of gethsemane where he asks god to allow him to forego his coming passion he's then arrested by the authorities made to stand trial before the jewish authorities sanhedrin will find him guilty of blasphemy before delivering him over to the romans for trial and execution now these are the stories that make up the backbone of the synoptic accounts of jesus but most casual readers in the New Testament don't realize is that none of these is found in John. None of them. You see? That's unbelievable. In John's Gospel, there's no word about Jesus' birth in Bethlehem or about his mother being a virgin. John, is a mark, Jesus appears for the first time as an adult. Jesus is not explicitly said to be baptized by John. He doesn't go into the wilderness to be tempted. He doesn't proclaim the kingdom of God that is coming, and he never tells a parable. Jesus never casts out a demon in John's gospel. He doesn't go up on the Mount of Transfiguration to reveal his glory to his disciples. That right? Nor does he make any effort to keep his identity secret or command of others to sign. He doesn't institute the Lord's Supper in his gospel. Nor does he go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray to be released from his faith. In John's gospel, he's not put on trial before the Sanhedrin, not found guilty of committing blasphemy. Okay, now, if John doesn't have these stories about Jesus, what stories does he have? The majority of John's stories are unique to John and found nowhere else Yes, many of the same characters appear in the gospel. Jesus, of course, some of his family, his male disciples, several female followers, John the Baptist, Jewish leaders, Caiaphas, Pontius Pilate, and Barabbas. And some of the same or similar stories are found in John, as well as the synoptics, like feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water, many of the events of the narrative, such as Jesus' anointing, his entry into Jerusalem, his betrayal and arrest, the denial by Peter, the Roman trial and the crucifixion. But most of the events of the Synoptics, except for the Passion narrative, are not found in John, just as by and large the words and deeds recorded in John occur only in John. So only in John do we have some of Jesus' most impressive miracles, the turning of water into wine, chapter two. The Healing of the Lame Man by the Pool of Bethesda, Chapter 5. Restoration of Sight to the Man Born Blind, Chapter 9. Raising of Lazarus from the Dead, Chapter 11. And only in John's Gospel we we'll get those long discourses, including the dialogues with Nicodemus in Chapter 3, with the Samaritan Woman in Chapter 4, With his opponents among the Jews, chapters 5 and 8. And with his disciples, chapters 15 to 17. Thing. Remember the additional thing? Just in terms of content, John is quite different from the synoptics. The differences between John and the synoptics are most striking in stories they have in common. First of all, the deeds, Jesus doesn't do as many miracles in John as he does in the synoptics. But the ones he does are, for the most part, far more spectacular and dramatic, right? Unlike in the synoptics, Jesus does nothing to hide his abilities. He performs miracles openly. They demonstrate who he is. John informed Mary, he his glory, and they came to believe in him. To illustrate, you can compare two stories that have several striking resemblances. Synoptic account of the raising of Jairus' daughter, Mark chapter 5, which is 21 to 43. Compare that with John's account of the raising of Lazarus, chapter 11, verse 1 to 44. And comparing those two stories tells you a lot about the difference between John and Synoptics. In both of the stories, a person is ill, Lazarus, the relative goes to Jesus for help. Jesus is delayed from coming right away. So that by the time he arrives, the person has already died and is being mourned. So the person is ill. It's a plea for help. He's delayed from coming right away. By the time he gets there, the person is already died. Jesus speaks of the person as sleeping which is a euphemism for death. Those who are present think that he has come too late, that now he can do nothing. But Jesus approaches the one who has died, speaks some words, and raises that person from the dead. Above the accounts end with Jesus' instructions to care for the person's well-being. The historian says, give us some to eat. But Lazarus, take those grab things around him, and going to suffocate So that's all the things that are similar. Although they're similar, they're different details on how the miracle is portrayed. First of all, in Mark's account, Jesus is delayed inadvertently. Remember, a woman with a hemorrhage, you know, comes up when he wants to touch the tassel of his cloak, who touched me, et He stopped, you know, he didn't plan on stopping, but something came up. He has an encounter with someone in the crowd, and in the meantime, the young girl dies. On the other hand, in John's Gospel, Jesus intentionally stays away until Lazarus dies. Why would he want Lazarus to die? Jesus' words tell us, in no uncertain terms, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Fair thing to say, huh? (laughs) So that you may believe. John's Gospel, Lazarus has to die so that Jesus can raise him from the dead, and convince others of who he is. As Jesus himself puts it, this illness is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified by means of it. He intentionally stays away in John. It's not his fault that he doesn't get there in time in uh, Mark. There's another significant difference. In Mark, Jesus heals the girl in private. He takes only her parents and three of his disciples with him. In John, Jesus makes the healing a public spectacle with the crowds looking on. Now we can understand why Mark may have wanted to portray Jesus as performing the miracles quietly. What is one of the themes he's working on? The messianic secret, right? Why all the publicity in John? Well, unlike the synoptics, John uses Jesus' miracles Convince people of who he is. As Jesus states in his gospel, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. In the synoptic gospels, Jesus refuses to do miracles in order to prove his identity. That's the exact opposite. When the scribes and Pharisees approach him and ask him to do a sign, he refuses, calling them sinful and adulterous for wanting a sign. or his own preaching, which is superior to that of Jonah and Solomon, should be enough. Similar lessons conveyed to the synoptic story of Jesus' and nations of the wilderness. At one point, Jesus is tempted to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. But why would Jesus want to do this? Well, if Jesus jumps, the angels of God will swoop down and catch him before he had spotted him crowds of faithful Jews down below would see this supernatural intervention on Jesus' behalf and become convinced of who he is. So some razzle-dazzle, this will get the people to believe. In the synoptic temptation narrative, when Jesus attempted to prove his identity by doing a miracle, he resists that temptation. So neither of these stories, the request for a sign or the temptation account is found in John's Gospel. As far from spurning the use of miracles to reveal his identity, Jesus performs them precisely for this purpose. John's Gospel doesn't call Jesus' spectacular deeds miracles or demonstrations of power, instead he calls them signs, because they're signs of who Jesus is. Like in the Synoptics, the miraculous bees are done publicly in order to convince people of Jesus' identity so that they may come to believe in him. In the, end of the Gospel, he says Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. In chapter 20, verses 30-31. So you see the big just in that raising of somebody from the dead. Mark, Jesus goes to help. He's interrupted. And he gets there to him. And John, Jesus gets word. He sits around and waits until Lazarus dies. Why? Because the death of Lazarus will be able to, uh, and raising Lazarus from the dead will be a sign who he is. He has the power of God in him. He's truly the Son of God. And then when the miracles perform, it's done quietly in Mark's Gospel, because he doesn't want to get people, get people the wrong idea of who he is. Uh, but in John's Gospel, he performs all these miracles to reveal who he is. So, again, big difference between the synoptics and uh, John right there. Okay, well, I'll finish this up next week, but uh, if you look at the Outline. Next week we'll do uh, the prologue. Then we'll start to go into uh, the story with John the Baptist. Okay. Now look for your uh, some materials on your uh, files page. Okay. You'll have the prologue. I'll show you. You'll see the indentations of it. So it's two pages. So outline that. And then also. Uh, also on the prologue, there'll be a page which has early Christian hymns. Like Xerox five they're on the same page. Maybe we'll talk about them and we can rush the prologue. Okay? All right. Another mm-hmm. good Those who are celebrating, stay dry tomorrow. <laughs> both, both, which sense? Both, both, physically and uh, <laughs> naturally. <and laughs> Sayanala. <hour. laughs> Oh yeah. What do you say it's not